Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Basti Ecruel Dubai. Well, what a week it's been in this concertina season. And the beauty of it, of course, is that there's top class racing day after day after day. And it takes you right up until the small hours, Saturday into Sunday, to put a programme like this to bed. You think you've put the programme to bed and then, well, you never quite know what's going to happen. Here's what's coming up. And just when you thought that Saturday was done and dusted, Barry Geraghty dropped a tweet at 11 o'clock last night saying that his glorious riding career was over. He won every major prize over the last two decades and we will reflect upon what has been a stellar spell in the saddle. That came at the end of what was a sparkling day for Roger Teal and Kieran Fallon as Oxted stormed home in the 2020 edition of the Dali July Cup. Since behind closed doors racing has resumed, this was the most atmospheric moment we've enjoyed. And the day was brought to life by the sheer energy of the delighted winning connections with whom we'll catch up in a few moments time. Some things were a little more conventional this week, like another Group 1 victory for John Gosden. Perhaps not with the filly that he'd expected in the foul mistakes, but she remains on a sharp upward curve. She's called Nazif, and it was another great week for her owner, Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum. She won the Group 1 Falmouth, beating Brook and Terrabellum. And York certainly got its share of centre stage on Thursday, staging the rescheduled Dante and the Musadora. A brilliant finish to the Dante stakes, no doubt, and thunderous, a very brave winner over highest ground. But Franny Norton picked up a nine-day suspension for excessive use of the whip. Barry Geraghty not the only high-profile rider to retire this week. Lizzie Kelly is now expecting a baby with her husband, Ed, and she has also called time on her quite notable career in the saddle. We'll be talking to her a little bit later in the programme. And my special studio guest this week, shortly after 11 o'clock, is the man who is the co-chair of the all-party parliamentary racing and bloodstock industries group. He is the MP for St Helens and Labour Party frontbencher, Conor McGinn. And joining me to react to all of that is broadcaster Cornelius Lysick. Cornelius, there's a nice uh, little surprise for you last night. Barry Geraghty uh, delivering news of his retirement at 11pm. Um, amazing career. I don't, I don't suppose it was a shock, but still a bit of a surprise. Never been so grateful for a WhatsApp group with uh, Mark, involving Marcus Tan into the Daily Mail, who's so <laughs> dull on a Saturday night that he's looking at Twitter at, uh, at 11 o'clock. But it was a great message uh, to get from Marcus saying that this career was over. It was, you know, it is one of the great national hunt careers. When people look back over the latter part of the 20th century, the first part of the 21st century, Geraghty, Walsh, McCoy, Richard Johnson, those names will all be up there. And for those 
who've been around a bit, it feels like, you know, the guard is really definitely changing. That was a golden era. And, uh, you know, Richard Johnson's still going, so the golden era continues. But those guys, those names, any of them could have been champion jockey if they were uh, there on their own. Uh, obviously, we've got Richard Johnson still going, but now we've got the new generation coming to the fore. But it, it feels like a, a really significant moment. No McCoy anymore, no Ruby Walsh anymore, no Barry Garrity anymore. Keep going, Dickie. <laughs> yeah, Dickie Johnson will feel increasingly lonely, I should think, but let's hope he does carry on for, for a good bit longer yet. As for Barry Garrity, a brilliant big race jockey, a great tactician, very brave as well, and quite an important final chapter of his career. At Cheltenham this year. Very important mm. final chapter of his career, I would say. Yeah, he has written, it, I, I started writing um, some down a list of some of the names. There's my, there's my list, uh, and in the end I just had exactly. to... Uh, I had to give it up. But you're talking about, obviously, more recently, you're talking about the champion hurdler uh, this year, Epitont. You're talking about uh, horses like Sprinter Sacra, uh, Finian's Rainbow. Uh, but then you go right, and I'm, I'm missing out lots Moscow of them. Like Moscow, but then going all the way back mm. to Moscow Flyer and Montes Pass, mm. um, win, win, winning the Grand National all those years ago. So he was right up there as a very intelligent jump jockey, great tactician, as you say, great communicator as well. Uh, he, he was, he always, uh, he was, he was good at, so he's been very good at social media and very good at television, good at radio, good at uh, giving good quotes to, to the written media. And he's always uh, been able to take advantage of that. But Moscow Flyer, uh, that it's a few years, he's a few years ago now, but he was, he was one of the true greats, wasn't he? And Garrity on him. Uh, when they were going um, what felt like a million miles an hour around Cheltenham or Sandown. And then at Cheltenham, famously, one year it went wrong, but he was there to communicate his side of, uh, of the story. Uh, and uh, so that turned out to be a down, but most of it was ups with Moscow Flyer and so many other uh, great horses, more recently riding for, um, for J.P. McManus. Yeah. So the, the, the million-dollar question now is who will be uh, the number one rider or riders donning those famous green and gold silks. Well, you would imagine that Mark Walsh will continue to have the pick of the rides in Ireland, and I presume that here Aiden it'll Coleman, be do you think? either Aidan Coleman or, or if they want to promote John Joe O'Neill Jr., if he'd want yeah. to take the, take well, the job. Well, there are so many horses. He'd be... Maybe candidate. they're enough for, for, for all of them. Mark, Mark Walsh has never shown any obvious enthusiasm for spending any more time in the UK than, mm. uh, than, than he has done in the past. But, but, you know, a lot of horses, a lot of very good horses and uh, lots, of, uh, lots of opportunities for the McManus team to, to, to decide who they, want to, uh, who, who they want to use. Now, it's a fabulous career for Barry Garrity, mm. as we say, ending on a high, which was great because there'd been a couple of years where people yeah. had said, oh, is he going to retire? And there was retire? quite a lot of yapping, wasn't there? There was a bit of yapping about how secure he was in the job and, and whatnot, but it was great that he could end on a real high. Five winners at Cheltenham, champion hurdle for JP and for Nicky Henderson, who, to, yeah. with whom he was very close. But that must, be, that must have been so satisfying for him at Cheltenham. Uh, this year because the yap, 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 you know, is Garrity past his sell-by date, you know, <gasps> Garrety, you know, there had been a lot of that. And you and I are aware of it, going to the races regularly, being involved in the racing media. He will certainly have been aware of it as well. Mm. But to go to Cheltenham this year and to have a real vintage Cheltenham with so much success, when it must have been in the back of his mind, he wasn't going to be going on for all that much longer. Yeah. Just a bit of a pity that Paul Townend got more play stalls, <laughs> so he ended up actually as the, the top rider, I think, didn't he, at, mm. the, at the festival?
but great that he could do it on his own terms. And a lovely mm. picture of him and his his lovely family yeah. there that he released yesterday, but, and well, showing you what's what's important to and him. And back to the communications thing, yeah. he, that, he obviously knew exactly what he was doing. It's a it is a it's a photograph well worth having a look at on social media mm. today. Him and his wife and the three children as well. Uh, and oh, there it is. And. Uh, you know, um, he'll, he'll be spending even more time with his family in the future. And especially after after that really nasty leg break that he had yeah. 18 months or so ago at, at Aintree, to recover from that and do what he did, um, fantastic. And Barry, we, we wish you well. Now, I'm led to believe that Barry held a party last night, announced the retirement at 11, to put the message on Twitter and was intending to party Switch the phone off. quite long <laughs> into the night. So we are hoping, or I'm hoping, Barry, that you might have just woken and maybe we'll get a word with you before the end of the program but i think a one hour special in the future is is you know because he's got so much to talk about so many horses so so many interesting mm. stories to tell from from all those years i think it'd be I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to tell your production team what to do, but a, a, a Nick Luck, Barry well, Geraghty one-hour special would fly by. He'll I'm be on sure. Cornelius cast in a couple of weeks, won't well, you? Well, funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> right, to yesterday, and to the highlight of yesterday, what a great story this was. Oxted winning for Roger Teal and Kieran Fallon. Now, a bit of trivia for you to help us with. Who was the last, if there has been one, claiming apprentice rider to win a Group 1 race in the UK? We think Donnacar O'Brien might have done it in Ireland. But William Haggis was the man who posed this question to me yesterday. I honestly can't think of one. William has reminded me that Tony Ives was third on remainder man in the derby when he was a claiming apprentice. But has there been in the UK a claiming apprentice to win a Group 1 race? There was yesterday. His name was Kieran Fallon. And uh, he delivered Oxted a victory for Roger Teal, a famous victory. And obviously over jumps Lizzie Kelly and yeah. I think Robert Widger have... Uh, have um have I've won done major prizes when claiming. But th this was magnificent, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, the, there he is. It, you know, Golden Hall here has got the rail to, uh, to run against, and uh, you know, he keeps on really well. He doesn't lose a massive amount in defeat, does he? But just the way that this horse storms, storms on. And he'd won the Avenant Stakes in good style in a really good time. And I think there are one or two tipsters, aren't there, who were thinking, why didn't we think a little bit harder about this horse? Marcus Armitage, though, of the Daily Telegraph, he doesn't tip many winners, but I think he napped this one. Actually, he tips lots of winners, but I think he, he, he did nap this one. And that's a, that's a famous victory for the Teal family, for Kieran Fallon, and for this magnificent horse who'd obviously been targeted at this prize. Uh, no disrespect. I mean, he's by Mason, who won the July Cup, who many people will tell you is a most underrated stallion, and, and this certainly seems to back that up. He's got a, he's got a very um, blue-collar pedigree on the dam side. It's Sir Roger Teal's great credit that he's made him into such a terrific racehorse. I'd love to see him in the Nunthorpe. Would you? Taking on Batash, I really would. Hmm. I'm not saying he'd beat him. But I'd love to see him there because it's, well, it be it's a fast yeah, six that Great to see. But do you know Roger Teal is the, and this is no longer the case. But over the last two or three years, he has been a trainer that that people have because in racing people do tend to underestimate the less obvious suspects. Mm. And this person, Roger Teal, and the Roger Teal team is one person who has really ensured with what Tip to Win, Kenzai Warrior, Ocean Wind. Uh, I remember him winning a nice bumper, I think, at, uh, at Newbury. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th this is, a, uh, this is a, uh, a, a team to underestimate at your peril, and uh, they've come really good yesterday uh, with Oxted. In his 14th season. And what marks out a really good trainer is a trainer with a plan. 
a long-term plan which can be executed. It was brave to miss Royal Ascot with this horse. When you don't have that many stars in your yard, to miss a potentially golden opportunity on the biggest stage because you want to win the July Cup. Last autumn, Nick Lightfoot went down to Roger Teal's yard to see his string, amongst whom Oxted was there, might have just won the Portland at the time, and he asked Roger Teal what the future might hold for this horse. Is there a dream race with him? Uh, I'd like to, I know it's probably very high, but I, I, I'd like to sort of, um, I've got the July Cup in mind, that, that's my target. Um, if he progresses, obviously, we're not going to go there. Like I say, I won't throw him in at the deep end if he's, if he's not good enough, but that's something I'd like to build for, yeah. And that is why he's a good trainer. <laughs> I mean, and that, that is why brilliant. following those those type of films on on racing TV is such a such an important thing to do. But no, to come and uh, don't you love that uh, in his voice as though he's saying, "Am I about to tell all these viewers that that oh the July Cup?" And but but uh, you know, how many months later, year later, whatever it is, there you are um, pl playing it again and showing what a what a great um, tactician mm. and planner uh, he is. And there he is, Roger Teal, right over your shoulder, Cornelius. Oh. Roger, how are you? Good morning. Have you, reco have you recovered from yesterday? Uh, a little bit fuzzy, Nick, but yeah, we're all good this morning. Thank you. And most importantly, how's Oxted? Yeah, he's grand. Um, absolutely fine. He's been out this morning for a pick of grass. Um, seems great. So we're very happy with him. And that was just wonderful yesterday. Your enthusiasm, Harry's enthusiasm. As I said to you both when I interviewed you, it was it was so infectious. It sort of made it made us all feel like there was a, a crowd, an atmosphere. You brought Newmarket to life. It was it was wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, we we do get a bit overexcited, I suppose, but you can't help it in days like that. And there seemed to be a sense that, that you and, and Harry, your son, who, who's been so closely involved with this horse, you really felt that, that you had him absolutely where you wanted to. Do you feel that missing Ascot was the key? Do you feel that freshness was the key? Absolutely. Um, obviously, after the Abernant, he, ra he raced on very quick ground and he was just a little bit sort of jarred up afterwards. Not serious, but just a bit stiff and sore after that first run on the ground. Um, so then we decided, had a chat with the owners and just said, look, we'd be silly to go to Ascot. Let's freshen him up and go. Our goal was the July Cup all along. Um, so let's go there fit and well. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it obviously it paid off yesterday. And it was great seeing that clip from, from when Nick came down to interview you last year and you were very tentative saying the July Cup, almost as if you were worried that you might make a <coughs> fool of yourself by suggesting something so bold. Well, you know, you have always have these dreams and this horse, um, when you see him in the morning, Nick, he, um, he puts a big smile on your face and uh, he's, 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 a, he's a talented horse. And um, he, I say when he won the Portland last year as a three-year-old with top weight, um, you know, he had to be taken seriously. And I knew he was going to progress over the winter because I've said it all along, he was just a shell of a horse last year. Um, but this year he's he's muscled up, he's strengthened up all round, and and when this horse works in the mornings, it's breathtaking, and um, you can't help but get excited. And uh, if someone else has got a faster horse, you think, well, fair play to them. But um, no, he, he he's uh, he's very exciting. And obviously, you've built up this rapport. He's built up this great rapport 
with with Kieran Fallon, to whom you you stayed loyal yesterday, and it, it worked beautifully. Before yesterday, what was it about his riding that you liked? What, first of all, made you put him on one of your horses? Um, uh, he, he, I know he probably doesn't like to be compared to his dad, but um, he's got a very good racing brain. Um, uh, I watched him last year. You know, he, uh, he was very mature for his age. And he, to be fair, the kid's only been riding about three years, I think. So obviously he's just got natural talent. Um, and um, I like his confidence. He's got, you know, he comes out with a smile on his face. He's a cheeky chap. Um, but I think when you've got a smile on your face, you ride better. Um, and he, he doesn't seem to feel the pressure. He's got, he's got his, um, his dad's blood in him. That's for sure. Now I, I suggested, um, this morning that I'd love to see him run in the Nunthorpe against the best five furlong horses as well. Is that tempting to you or, or are you inclined to keep him at six? Um, I think we'll sit down now and uh, obviously, I mean, the pace he showed yesterday, he travels so strong. I mean, you could, you could possibly have a punt at the non-thorpe, I think. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he is a strong galloper and uh, he's, he's just got that cruising speed that takes him into the race. And um, yeah, I, 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 guess, I guess it would be worth a shot maybe, you know. Um, but I have to speak to the owners. Uh, Steve Piper, David Fish, and uh, Tony Hirschfield, and uh, we'll get our heads together and and uh, and see what happens. As I'll talk to the boys, as Aiden says. So uh, yeah, <laughs> all the sit, lads. You'll sit down with the lads. Just a different, just a different set of lads. Yeah, uh, I'll sit down with the lads. <laughs> Roger, um, enjoy your sit down with the lads. I hope it uh, yields the result that we see him taking on Batash and Co. in the Nunthorpe, but. For the time being, just enjoy the success, which was a brilliantly executed plan. Thanks so much for talking to us. Cheers, Nick. Thank you very much. Cheers. Roger Teal, the trainer of uh, Oxted. I think that would be a, a heck of a clash at York, wouldn't oh, it? It, it, it? It definitely would be. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, that clearly racing has, uh, has as with so many other millions of people around the world, has taken uh, these hits this year from this, this terrible disease. But the thing about racing is that um, it, it, there could be a reward later on in the year with some exceptional. Well, there already has been uh, some some reward for the for the patience of get, getting through it all with some magnificent racing. Mm -hmm. uh, the Eclipse Stakes the other day, uh, and coming up a Sussex Stakes at Goodwood. Oh. Practically every day of the week, I see another horse has won in great style somewhere. We're off to the Sussex mm -hmm. Stakes, uh, which uh, that could be a, a real highlight. Something like the Nunthorpe, but also international stakes and uh, Yorkshire Oaks, lots of star names and working all the way through perhaps to the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe in, uh, in October and then on to America. Uh, there, there is, you know, it's been a desperate, desperate year. But, um, you know, one doesn't have to be a major spin doctor no. to try and spot some, some um, light at the end of the tunnel. The quality of the racing is definitely sustaining us, even though we have some serious underlying problems, more of which later mm. on. And talking of the Sussex Stakes, I'll be talking to Charlie Appleby, though yesterday he suggested that even if Pinatubo wins the Jean Prat this afternoon, he's unlikely to head to the Sussex. Let's have a look at some of the best racing from the July Festival outside the July Cup. We'll start with the Bunbury Cup. If one horse owes one man an awful lot for loyalty, it's Motta Kale to Jim Crowley because he picked him ahead of the market at Ascot mm. and he picked him ahead of the market again yesterday and he's been proved spot on both times. He obviously knows this horse is a bit 
and he's not special but good and he's clearly an exceptional judge isn't he mm. uh, that, that this uh, it's no coincidence this has happened more than once but those colors this year it has been a it's been a joy to see Sheikh Hamdan having uh, such a good ascot and such a good time left right and center uh, at the moment um, and um, you know other members of the uh, Maktoum family have probably dominated the racing headlines over the last year or two but Sheikh Hamdan is bang there with Jim Crowley uh, and with a, a magnificent uh, sort of army of, of good racehorses. And so Sheikh Hamdan's got a pretty decent shot at being leading owner this year mm. in this shortened season. Nazif was another Group 1 winner for him in the Falmouth Stakes. John Gosden expressed some surprise that Nazif had been able to beat his better fancy Terra Bellum in the Godolphin Blue. Grand Bilsden Brook the far side. What a smashing mare she is. But Nazif came to claim them both, Cornelius. Yeah, I thought one must have ran okay as well and was perhaps a little bit luckless. But uh, yeah, here, here's another one. And that was a, a, tr a tremendous finish, sort of four horses ending up uh, involved there. And um, yeah, the, the, as I say, the Sheikh Hamdan bandwagon is rolling on and rolling on at a certain certain pace, isn't it? When John Gosden, before Royal Ascot, was asked to nominate a charity bet in aid of racing welfare, he nominated oh, yeah. Nazif in the, in the Duchess of Cambridge Stakes. Um, and or the Duke of Cambridge Stakes, I should say, and uh, probably in measure of the indication that he thought she was a Group 1 filly, mm. and indeed she proved in the Falmouth. It wasn't the only success for Sheikh Hamdan either, because Al-Azi took the Bahrain Trophy <laughs> for William Haggis, always the apple of his eye, this horse, and he's now delivered, and delivered in quite some style. Yeah. Do you think he's going to be a ledger horse? Well, that, that, that's, the, that's the general feeling. Here we are. Uh, that, that's the general feeling. He, he keeps on really well, doesn't he? And he travelled so smoothly and, through the yeah, race. I mentioned the Sussex Stakes and onto the Ark, etc. But the Ledger, especially if Serpentine ended up uh, mm. in the Ledger, that's, that's looking re uh, uh, a really good race as well. Um, looks as though the final classic can at least take place on the day that uh, was planned. We ought to talk about the Princess of Wales' stakes because it was a, the most significant victory in the career of Holly Doyle to date. Her first Group 2 success, her first Group race success, in fact, uh, Dam Mayo the winner for Ed Vaughan in the Oppenheimer colours. Um, in the end, she's won this really quite comfortably. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, is, cl is clearly a horse going, going forward you know, um, uh, really nicely. And, you know, the fact is... With Holly Doyle, I'm always split on Holly Doyle. On the one hand, she is a very good jockey and she's working her way up the ladder and that was Group 2, wasn't it? Um, and whether it's, whether it's relevant that she's a man or a woman, uh, I uh, personally, I, I um, think is, is debatable that, you know, the fact is she is an exceptionally good jockey who's going up the ladder and although Kieran Fallon grabbed the Group 1 headlines from Newmarket, it won't be too long, I'm sure, between, before Holly Doyle's doing that. And the interesting point about this filly is that Frankie de Tori rode her last year at Newmarket and said never run her on soft ground again. And the ground had got quite soft. Yeah. So perhaps on a, a sounder surface, she might be better, better. still. Yeah, so, no, it's ex exciting going forward. And so some of those, I don't know, smaller trainers, but some of those less heralded trainers certainly enjoying their moment in the sun this week. And that is a really important thing, isn't it? Of course we admire Aidan O'Brien and John Gosden, William Haggis and the Godolphin team and for their for their the, the, the skillful way they deal with these masses of, of good horses. But when it's Roger Teal, when it's Ed Vaughan, when it's some of the less heralded uh, people, that is that that's fantastic for for as well as seeing good sport but to have a real i hate the word narrative uh it, it makes me sound as though i've spent too much time in a marketing agency but to give the <laughs> you're going to use it anyway yeah i'm going to use it anyway uh it's like all ghastly words they quite often mean something perfectly easy to understand but 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 the but the fact is the narrative 
regardless of everyone outside the sport, it's really, I think it's really good for people inside the sport. There's Roger Teal doing this, nearly beating the last one home as he runs through the, uh, the, the, the winner's <laughs> enclosure. Uh, and, and Ed Vaughan and, and other people as well. So to have the variety, of course we admire the big people and how they do it consistently, but to have some of those other guys popping up every now and again is really healthy. And no more so than Mark and Johnston, who's, who's trained more winners than any other person in Great Britain. And he trained a Group 2 winner uh, in the Dante Stakes on, on Thursday. He also trained the, the Musadora winner as well. Thunderous was the Dante Stakes winner in the colours of High Clear Thoroughbred Racing. Another enorm enormous success story for this stallion sensation, Night of Thunder, and, and getting the better of, of highest ground. But that only tells a third of the story, Cornelius. Mm. It was, um, you know, when these horses come with massive reputations to, to the races, like highest ground. So, you know, he's, he's coming to, uh, I, th I think those who got stuck in or were really looking forward to this late, latest Michael Stout, big noise. There he is. And uh, he just never, he, he doesn't stride on in the way that it was probably anticipated by his supporters that he would. And here uh, comes his nemesis to do him close home. Uh, Sheen Murphy gave himself a bit of a hard time for hitting the front too soon on yeah. highest ground and of course Franny Norton got the nine day whip ban for hitting Thunderous 14 mm. times so that, that Lots debate, of different that, strands that, to that, story, that debate gets oxygenated yeah. again slightly by this doesn't it? Yeah um, and it, you know is there a solution to the to the debate is there a right side or a wrong side well the answer to that is probably no but uh, it was a it was a tremendous horse race whatever wasn't it? It was and what about the winner I mean again St Ledger was talked about yeah. for him but what do you think? That was ten and a half furlongs. I don't think he's short of pace, and I, I'm not sure his pedigree screaming out for a mile and three quarters. And and that's uh, from there to the St Ledger. It's mm. a it's a long way forward, isn't Classic it? Classic cliche. I remember won the Dante and the St Ledger in the same right. season, didn't he? But I, I'm going to I'm going to of, I'm going to say well done with that uh, particular. <laughs> there was a bit gem. of water under the bridge, I think. Um, the Musadora Stakes went to Rose of mm. Kildare. She cost three grand. Now, every story like this is important at the moment because we've seen today, and we're going to talk about it later. Owners, they're not going to stay in the game under current conditions unless there's significant incentive to do so. And, and here is a, you know, th this, is, this is classic Mark Johnston in so many ways, isn't it? Uh, th this is a, a horse who's, you know, who's, who's coming out again quickly, cheaply bought, as you say, uh, and strides on to a, to a famous success and completing a famous I was about to say classic trial double, but um, uh, we'll have to call it the famous Musadora Dante double uh, for, for the Johnston team this year and for Franny Norton, who um, I, I keep meaning all week I've been meaning to look up exactly how old Franny Norton is because he has been around forever. Uh, but uh, he is, he's in, in magic form and he's another of the, you know, he's well heralded Franny mm. Norton. However, he's not hitting the, you know, when, when uh, on, a, on a normal Super Saturday, when the Frankie de Torres and the Ryan Moores are taking part in the July Cup, he'd be around going around Chester. Yeah. Uh, so he is not heralded in quite the same way out, uh, you know, on the, on the very biggest uh, occasions. But my goodness, he is, A, he's a brilliant rider and he's a fantastic character as well. And, um, you know, every sport needs those type of people. You know, you want your brilliance. You want your people who perhaps do let their riding do the talking. But you also want the really demonstrative guys. And Franny Norton would be a, a perfect example of that. And there was a sense of rolling back the years as well. And the big race at Ascot yesterday uh, for Marcus Tregoning, training yeah. another real top-notcher yeah. for Sheikh Hamdan in uh, Mahatha. 
Uh, this is a horse who had no luck at the t at all at the royal meeting, but he absolutely annihilated his. But he yesterday. had not only did he have no luck at all, but he had conspicuous bad luck that went on and on and on and on. Mm. And watching the um, it was the Queen Anne, wasn't it? You, you and he'd been quite well touted for the Queen Anne. You thought it's bound, to, it's, things are bound to work out in a minute. But but they, what was it? it must have been a quarter of a mile that for a quarter of a mile he was uh, really struggling. But I thought yesterday. When it was priced up yesterday's race, I really thought that the bookmakers were being generous on the, on on, on this. <laughs> Quite sort of, easy to say now, uh, but yes. Well, well no, I did. Funny enough, I'm not sure if one's meant to mention rival podcast to to, to your own absolutely outstanding <laughs> podcast. But I'm Nick, sorry, I've Nick already, given, I've already given Cornelius uh, Cast a plug. So no, uh, they, I, w I was on with one with SportingLife.com mm -hmm. this week, and uh, I, di I really at the time I think it was eleven to four Mahatha. Uh, and I just thought that was stunning. And for a professional punter who l likes the horse, likes its reputation coming to the season, uh, lamented the fact that Ascot went wrong, to, to line up in a, a nice race yesterday. But, uh, you know, if, that, if things had gone right at Royal Ascot, he, he might easily have won the Queen Anne. And yesterday, I, I thought it was... I, I just, I'd sat transfixed. Just occasionally you have a bet in a race. And you just know that you're going to win from practically the word go. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, it was. Oh, we can't play that, can we? So that, that's. I was about to say, are you yeah. about to cue it in? But no. Uh, but uh, no, you're not. <laughs> but it was a really, really nice performance. I am, however, about to say a very good morning to Marcus Dragoning, the trainer of Mahatha. Marcus, good morning. Morning, Nick. And the question we all went into. You didn't have this question. Well, we had the question going into yesterday. Was was he a real hard luck story at Royal Ascot? Is he a bit of a wise guy horse, or is he a real top notcher? Well, he answered that for sure, didn't he? Oh, yes, I think so. Um, obviously, we have to move on from the Royal Ascot things. We all know, you know, that these things happen in racing, and it was it was very, very unlucky. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, we had it so well on the day, and it's just, you know, the way things worked out, everything went completely wrong. But um, at least he came back in perfect shape and was fresh and well and was able to do what he did yesterday, which I, I think um, has been a pretty decent. He was extremely decent, and he's a horse who clearly has been working extremely well this season as well. You said he's the best miler you've ever trained. You stopped short of saying he's the best horse I've ever trained. Uh, yeah, I not. Oh, I mean, it's a person who was a very, very good two-year-old, and you know, was was very good in the Guineas. Just bumped into George Washington. He was a, he was a very good horse. Um, I obviously went on to win the Derby, so that was. Um, you know, amazing. But you know, this horse, I think he, um, I just love that um, that turn of gear, that turn of speed. I mean, he, you know, he, he could easily have gone the sprinting route, and I think you'd have found that if he'd done that, he'd have he'd have won those good races as well. But um, you know, to get a, a good miler, um, it's very good for you know the breathing operation in the future, and also you know, um, wonderful for showcasing who stands next door to next door to me here at Whitsbury. Um, but, you know, he, you know he's, he's, I think he's a force to be reckoned with from now on. He is most certainly a force to be reckoned yeah. with. Would the, would the Sussex Stakes be the next obvious target for him? Do you fancy a crack at, at Siskin and maybe Pinatubo and almost certainly Circus Maximus again, the horse who finished in front of you in the Queen Anne? Yes, I, I mean, I, I think probably, you know, it's hard to say, isn't it? But if he got a run in the Queen Anne, I think he'd have never enough won that race. So I think you know, um, we'd be quite happy to take them on. And um, I think it's the, the way we want to go with him. Um, obviously, I mean, constant discussions with the um, the powers of the owners and 
Shay Hamdan and and Richard Richard Hills, Angus Gold, everybody. You know, it's all no one part of the mix um, talking about discussing it. But I think at the moment. It looks like the Sussex Stakes is um, is on the cards. Marcus, your own association with Shadwell and, and Sheikh Hamdan goes back over three decades to your time working for, for Major Hearn and, and the greats and Umfawen and, and Nashwan, of course, and then you trained you trained their relative Nayef so so beautifully. Just try and give me an indication of the satisfaction you get from winning a huge prize at Ascot with those those blue and white silks again. Oh, it's marvellous. You know, I mean, he, I, I think God, so going back to the sort of beginning of the whole thing when they first these back first came on the scene i mean what they've done for racing in this country is, is phenomenal and you know their passion for it time and time again we don't always have a good year um you know studs go in um troughs so sometimes they have good years sometimes they have bad years and the enthusiasm for it over the last whatever it is 40 years or so it's been amazing and i've been lucky to be a very very small cog um in in the wheel and i've, del- I've been delighted to train good horses for him and when Dick Helm was training I was very lucky to be in amongst uh, the Nash ones, the Dejours and all you know, all the projects of Hyder Fashion so I've had a great run with it and um, I know, I'm, I'm glad I became a trainer in the end <laughs> <laughs> And as, as far as the, the young blood coming through is concerned can you can you tell us that now this is no this is no one one horse stable there are there are some, some really promising youngsters coming through behind Mahatha Oh yeah I think so I mean I, I mean, you know, I think I'm lucky enough that um, Shea Hamlin has supported me well over the years, and, and, we've, and we've got some nice two-year-olds for him, hopefully, this year. Um, we, obviously, there's been a shortage of two-year-old races, and it's difficult making the plans with them because um, their programme is, is announced quite late, and, you know, races have moved around. It's quite difficult to see where to go with them. Um, so, you know, but, you know, I think um, it, it gradually sort of getting back on the even keel, um, with the uh, coronavirus, hopefully, and we can get if we get this under control, we'll have a better time of it next year. But you know, um, it's been quite difficult making plans. But I, I think um, we've got a decent bunch of two-year-olds. Um, let's just see. Um, they, you know, I think the proof's in the pudding, as they say. Anything you're going to unleash over the next week or two? Um, well, yes, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, we, we, we've the first two-year-old we, we ran um, was placed first time out, then one the next time at Goodwood. And uh, so that was encouraging because we've got some, I mean, I've got several that I like. Um, I think there's a nice Oasis Stream cold, um, bearing in mind that showcasing is by Oasis Stream, so I'm keen on that bloodline. But we've got a nice horse called Tess Feet, who we, who we like a lot, by Oasis Stream, as a man called Blinking. And so um, hopefully, you know, he'll be a sort of six, seven furlong horse, and, uh, and, and hopefully there'll be more to come. Well, we very much look forward to seeing him out. Marcus, thanks so much. Well done yesterday. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Thanks a lot. Marcus Tregoning. I've dutifully written down Taz Feet by Oasis Dream out of blinking. Because <laughs> if you can't hear the name, always note down the pedigree and uh, you'll pop out somewhere. But um, I, I, I'm not saying the comparison is a valid one, but I, was, I don't know why. Just in the middle of that conversation when I asked about the young blood coming through, I remember being at a press conference in 2010, just when Henry Cecil had started training Group 1 winners for Judmont Farms again yeah. after a fairly long period without much success. And there was a press conference on the July course and somebody said to him, have you got any nice youngsters for, for, for John Mont Farms? And he said, yes, I've got one called Franklin. At which point, Teddy Grimthorpe elbowed him and said, I think you'll find it's called Frankel, Henry. <laughs> oh, that's it. He ran two weeks later. And the rest, as they say, is? Yeah, the rest, as they say, yeah. exactly. Talking of... Um, well, we're going to talk to Lizzie Kelly in a few moments' time, but I wanted just to talk about a couple of two-year-old performances from yesterday. Um, 
first of all, uh, wanted to talk about Master of the Seas, who won the superlative stakes at, at, at Newmarket. Um, that, that was a, a very impressive performance. We're hoping to connect with Charlie Appleby a little bit later in the program. He's en route at the moment from Newmarket to, to Deauville, where he's going to run Pinatubo in the Prigent Pratt. But that's the third consecutive season now that he's unleashed mm. a, a potential seven furlong top-notch two-year-old at this stage of the year. Yeah, the, this was a really exciting, very exciting performance, wasn't it? Up the middle there, and I just I, I loved his I loved his attitude. Now these are obviously uh, young, inexperienced horses, but the maturity of that performance was was really striking. A, a combination of maturity and stylishness, and uh, clearly there is a lot to look forward to uh, on that front. So the answer has come through to the question earlier about the claiming apprentice to win a Group One race. Uh, and how, how, on a scale of one to ten, how surprised are you, or how uh, much should we have got it? It depends. It sort of depends on your vintage, really. Right. <laughs> you, should, you should have got it. <laughs> I shouldn't have got it. You should have got it. Go um, it was Billy Noon's time charter, ah, 1982 82. Oaks. 82. But you have to go back a long way. Yeah. Anyone can think of another one between then and now. Just, um, just send it in to us. The other notable two-year-old performance, well, there are quite a few notable two-year-old performances, but the other really notable one I thought was Mason at Leopardstown. At Leopardstown. I know you yeah. wanted to touch on this. Another well, one for Ger Lyons, talking of Judmont Farm. And in the, uh, yeah, Judmont colours here. And uh, again, it was... Uh, thoroughly mature performance. I, th I think it also indicates after the, the good horse that they've had this year, Siskin, for the, um, uh, for the, for the Judmont team, it shows how much, I think Ger and his Ger Lions and his team at Glen Burnie Stables have quite a few horses. He, he's had to keep the horse sort of going, but, and he's, it's, not a, it's not been a massive 10 length success or something like that, but I thought the, again, the maturity and the authority that he was able to show there and to, by keeping on, he's got a good reputation uh, and I think that he's got a good future as well. Quite understandably, plenty of you National Hunt fans will be throwing things at the TV and saying, why no mention of the jumping this week? Josh Wright has been in touch saying, shameless plug, but if you could squeeze in a mention of really super summer plate win, massive for a small syndicate like ours, superb job Amy Murphy is doing and how yeah. integral syndicates are for the game, that would be great. So Josh, your wish. And I'll tell you what, the big mark. race that you talked to on Monday, Manella Celebration won that, got up on the line. Uh, that's now three out of three for that horse at Utoxeter as well. So I'll throw my... Two penny worth in two. And also, uh, in, in, in response to, to, to more um, uh, brick bats that I was being thrown last week, when I didn't mention Callum Shepherd had had two hat tricks in consecutive days, he's now, I think, had something like 14 winners in the last fortnight, including progressive rating at the July Festival. That but, is a, that's a serious return. And one of my favourite moments of ITV this week, uh, the, the coverage for the, obviously the fleeting times I watched it in, um, recorded <laughs> the recording later on in the day, but Hayley Turner had said, what a great week Callum Shepherd uh, had had seven winners last week, and apparently Callum texted her and said, well, thanks very much for the good words, but actually it was nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is going, he is going great. He's guns. definitely got, he's got, got a, more. He's got a, and it, it, no, he's got skill, uh, and he's clearly got a really nice uh, and engaging personality as well. Quite tall, I thought, though. Yes, mm. yes, but he's, he's managing that very very effectively. And that um, hook-up with William Knight, who's going so well, clearly a, a profitable one as well, as, as is his retainer from uh, Bill and Tim Gredley. Now, Lizzie Kelly announced earlier this week that she is hanging up her boots. Well, for the time being, at any rate because she and her husband, Ed, are expecting their first baby, which is wonderful news. And Lizzie joins us on the line now. Lizzie, good morning. Morning. Um, how's it all going? How have you found the relentless media interest since, uh, since you made the announcement? 
sort of overwhelming, actually. I was pretty blown away by um, the response that it got and, um, yeah, very flattered. So nice to know that, you know, so many people um, were so supportive. So, yeah, it's been a nice few days. And, of course, we've been posing this question today about who was the last claiming rider to win a Group 1 race on the flat. You, of course, did it over jumps. When you were claiming you were winning you were winning the Grade 1 Corto Star Novices Chase on, on, on T for two. It was a very special moment and, and only bettered, perhaps, by that win at Aintree. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I was probably too young to really appreciate the first Grade 1 that I, I won, but the second Grade 1 was, um, yeah, fantastic and... Um, yeah, it was it, they, all, all of those winners. I mean, I loved having a little claim. Like even the two festival winners, uh, they were both handicap chases, and I still had a little three pound claim. And um, I quite liked my cheeky three pounds. <laughs> <laughs> because as you said to me earlier in the week, you know, it wasn't about the amount of winners that you rode, but you'll be remembered for those those big race rides. Do you feel that you you were you were best on the big day? Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, I think I was a really, I was in, I had a lovely career in the fact that, you know, I rode, I didn't ride a lot, I didn't ride a lot of winners, but um, I, I rode a lot of quality horses, um, and, you know, for me it wasn't about numbers, I suppose, it was about, like, names, if you like, like, I wanted to win, like, Champion Hurdle or Champion Chase, like, I, it was... It was a different, I was very lucky that I was able to have a different sort of career, you know, and, and the numbers wasn't, wasn't what I was after, you know, it was, it was the big, big races and, uh, you know, I was, I was very lucky to, to be able to have a career like that. And you must have had to have or, or, or steel yourself to have a lot of confidence in your own ability to go out there and compete against, you know, we talked about Barry Geraghty, Ruby Walsh, A.P. McCoy, when your experience was so much less than theirs. Yeah, I mean, um, at times it was overwhelming. I think I kind of grew into it. I think when I was younger, I rode in a four-runner novice herder at uh, Newbury, actually, on, on T for Two, funnily enough. And the other jockeys were McCoy, uh, Barry Garrity and Noel Feely. And then there was me. Um, that was, you know, a bit mad, really, as a seven-pound claim at the time. Um, but good horses give you confidence and you know riding riding the kind of caliber of horses that I did yeah it was intimidating beforehand but once you're actually down at the start and you know they they give you so much confidence and I knew the horses that I rode so well that you know it really was just a case of you know riding the race that was in front of you and very lucky to pull a few off. Well, very, very happy news for you and, and, and Ed this week. And, and I, as I said to you the other day, your new arrival has already been round Cheltenham. Yeah, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, um, he, well, he or she managed to actually survive that fall at the last and um, on Sierra de Lac. And God, I mean, I'm, you, 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 I'm glad I didn't know at the time you'd been in an awful state. But um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a bit mad, that, really. I mean, that's a good story to be able to tell, isn't it? <laughs> well, you'll be, be showing him or her the video in years to come, I suspect, because um, <laughs> I think we all wondered how you managed to get up. Um, never, never mind anything else. What, um, what a, a, apart from obviously starting a family, which is going to be your most significant priority, how are you looking to transition your, your career now? I think it's a 
tricky sort of path to to walk really because you know being a jockey is a huge part of your identity and I think that I have kind of been quite careful to try and do things the right way so that psychologically I don't find it too difficult. I think I've always found the home side of things very interesting, the training, uh, breaking in horses and things like that. Um, so that's something that I will really focus on. But I, I think I'll probably try to go racing kind of as often as I can, really, just to try to stay within that same um, lifestyle for a little while um, and, you know, sort of wean myself off it gradually. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited about I'm really excited about the next bit. And, you know, I think I'd love to continue doing stuff for the media and having a reason to go racing, I think, is quite important. Um, so, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a tricky path, but, you know, I'm excited about it. And I think I kind of knew that I needed to start a new chapter when I was riding last season and everything sort of happened at the right time, really. Well, I'm sure it is a path you will tread with um, extremely, uh, extreme aplomb as you have all, all, all through your riding career. Lizzie, thanks so much for joining us and, and best of luck. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Lizzie Kelly, who announced her retirement this week. Let's talk to Dawn Goodfellow from Racing Welfare because Racing Welfare are about halfway through raising half a million pounds this year as part of their emergency appeal in response to, to COVID-19. Dawn, the chief executive, is, is with us. Dawn, um, hi, good morning. That's, a, that's a, a great milestone to get halfway there. Good morning, Nick. Yes, it is. And we're, we're absolutely delighted. Um, but it's important to emphasise our services have never been more needed. So in last year would have been our biggest year where we looked after about two and a half thousand people. This year, by the end of June, we had already worked with three and a half thousand people. So and, and normally um, across the summer, particularly between March and September, we would have had events that raised around half a million pounds so so there, there's a big gap in the middle at the moment so we're working hard on that and, and it, but as you say we've already reached halfway with that appeal and do you think that because we're racing again and because tv viewers almost have never had it so good because it's on the telly all the time and it looks fine on tv compared to other sports that we're almost lulling ourselves into a bit of a full sense of security as to what the issues are underneath um i think we i think possibly I mean, I think racing did an amazing job to be the first sport back and great credit has to go to those people who made that happen. Um, but yes, there's a long way to go and I don't think anyone would deny that. You know, fabulous though, Royal Ascot looked on the television, those empty stands, the July festival this week with no marquees up and that kind of thing. Um, must have been quite a bleak place, actually, watching Roger Teal with that fantastic win yesterday um, and nobody to share it with. Um, must, it must have been a strange experience. But I think um, that... It, 
it does work well on television and we're very, very fortunate from that point of view. We're fortunate that we're in a sport that doesn't require um, close contact between people. Um, but, but what we're hoping is that about um, 2 million people would go racing uh, over July, August, September, both at the big festivals and, and the small days. And what we're hoping is that people would consider donating um, the cost of their ticket from their chosen race day to us to that emergency appeal. And then hopefully we can get up towards that, that half a million mark. Uh, 247,000 now, though, is a, is, a, is a great number. You can donate www.racingwelfare.co.uk forward slash donate. And um, we, can, we can only endorse your sentiments, Dawn, for, for everybody to get involved. And I can't let you go without, uh, without a plug for the Glorious Goodwood preview evening. That's right. So, so some of the things we've been doing have been tr trying to fill the gap. We had a very successful Ascot preview evening, but on July the 23rd, um, we've got a preview evening for Goodwood with a really world-renowned um, Master of Ceremonies for mm -hmm. that as well. So thank you very much, Nick. Uh, but uh, yes, if anybody available. would like to join us for that, <laughs> you can find details on our website. Uh, Dawn, thank you very much and best of luck with it. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Dawn Goodfellow, Chief Executive <laughs> of uh, Racing Welfare. Yes, yeah, so Rishi wasn't available. So well, wasn't he? Yeah, no. no and sorry. Tom? Uh, Tom, also not available. Lydia, not available. Really? Yeah. But I'm anyway, there you go. I don't know if I'm available, but uh, they didn't ask me. Next time. <laughs> next time. Here, are, well, you are available for this, which is quite important. This week's Talking Points. All right. Connor McGinn is in the building. He will be in very shortly indeed. But first of all, seven talking points this week. We will start with Goodwood, who are hoping Cornelius to be the first race course maybe to trial up to 5,000 people as a crowd. Mm. Now, that would be a very significant moment were that to happen. Yeah, and in, in a way it seems like a sort of perfect place because you've got a big, big place uh, in, in a part of the country, mm. that, where, not an urban part of the country or anything like that, and a big and loyal, you know, it's quite easy to find that number of people to come. I don't know exactly how many members Goodwood would have, but it has um, many hundreds, probably thousands of members. So that's sort of easy to work out who you're going to invite mm. and how you're going to bring them there. So I, I, I gather that I think there could be further announcements in the next few days uh, about this from what I gather. Uh, there's a bit of a race on between horse racing and county cricket uh, to try and try and get crowds in. Obviously, WAGs will uh, will laugh. Surely county cricket's been social distancing for years. Uh, but um, so there's a, a, a bit of a thing on. Uh, there are big, big names in government who are big uh, uh, brains in government who are scratching their head and trying to work out, you know, could you open a bar there and open a restaurant there on a race course and sort of try and make them some kind of a hub. So I, I think there is going to be uh, further um, an announcement on all of this. Uh, it might not even end up being a trial day at Goodwood. It might just end up being a day which, with a very small T in terms of trial, uh, which, which um, starts off something uh, which would be very exciting going on towards York and Doncaster and all those big meetings later on. Yeah, I interviewed William Darby this week and they are hoping to maybe have some semblance of a crowd mm. at York Seaboard Festival. But the, the language he used, we haven't given up hope, it didn't fill me with, with optimism. No, but he is the, he, and he, he's the definition of cautious, though, isn't he? 
William Darby. That's not a criticism, but he's just mm. a, he's a feet-on-the-ground person. I'm sure in the back of his mind he's thinking he might even, I hope be, so. uh, might even be more successful than that. Well, one thing you can guarantee, if York get this trial day, if Goodwood get this trial day, York will not be too far behind, and that would be tremendous to have. Uh, a crowd on the Knavesmire as well. And we can really roll this into the next talking point, which is owners. Mm. And two owners with interest in 39 horses, Jonathan Harding's piece in the Racing Post today, Jed Shields and John Hughes, have written a blueprint for how an ownership strategy should move forward. I mean, Cornelius, for race courses in the, in the medium term or the short term, having a handful of people at the race course is not economically viable, no. but they've got to see the bigger picture. Yeah. and realise that without keeping investment in the sport, even if it's at their cost in the short term, the long-term effects are going to be disastrous. Well, no one can disagree with what John Hughes and Jed uh, Shields are saying. There are, there are two options as far as they're concerned. The one is to just stick your head in the sand and hope everything comes good, mm. which just isn't really an option, or to actually be proactive. I think it's a, a really good thing in any walk of life rather than be reactive, being proactive. And so w w whatever you think of these two guys and what their analysis is, the fact is that they have, you know, they have stepped forward with an idea uh, which, um, you know, even if people in the highest levels of racing have been talking about these things, they haven't been doing it publicly, they've been doing it behind closed doors. So I think it's a, a really interesting document that they've come forward with, which is focusing the minds. It is because if, if owners fall away, and they are predicting um, that, that these are going to be desperate times for owners' numbers over the next few years, and it could take, you know, even a decade to, to recover from that. And then, of course, if there aren't owners, there are less horses. If there aren't less horses, there's less gambling and there's less, uh, less funding and revenue. Well, Charlie Parker, the president of the ROA, now uh, boss of the Horsemen's Group as well, a yeah. key figure in racing politics now, said on this programme three weeks ago, this very, chair. This yeah. very chair, 1,800 pe 1800 horses who should be in training on the flat at the moment are at grass. Well, I, I was talking to um, Eve Johnson Horton this week, and I said, wh wh "Where are you seeing the uh, the, the uh, particular areas here of uh, perhaps people cutting back?" And he, she she used it as an example: if a horse goes wrong or a horse isn't looking very good in the past, people have said, "Let's let's keep going," and they're saying, well, "Actually, let, let's Leave get it. rid." Exactly, because the incentive's not there. Eve Johnson Horton again, who was in this very chair, chair <laughs> very recently, and well done to Gay Johnson Horton, Eve's mother, for breeding. Mahatha um, yeah. uh, yesterday as well. A fantastic triumph for their uh, Bloodstock Empire. The Animal Health Trust mm. is on the brink of, of collapse. Well, it, it, it is essentially collapsing, but there is now a rescue package being, well, uh, yeah, I think being the, put the, forward the, the, to try and um, put it back people together People with again. quite deep pockets, the, the levy boards involved, the British Horse Racing Authority involved. The, the Animal Health Trust has been going, well, it, it doesn't matter how long it's been going, but it has been going since the 1940s. Mm. But the work that it does for racing, for um, the, the, the equine industry, for the, for the wider industry as well, is absolutely crucial work. Now, they're, they're struggling. Uh, they're looking at ways of, uh, of cutting their cloth to ensure that uh, they, they can keep going. I think rescue packages are being uh, discussed, but I think this is probably really important because it would be catastrophic if, um, say, the, the, the equine uh, flu outbreak of 2019, if that emerged and people didn't really, or the, the, uh, another version of that emerged and people didn't really see it coming because the, the boffins there have not been able to do it. So this is, this is really important work uh, that is expensive, but it's so important that, uh, that people, and I think, to be fair, people aren't walking, people are saying, right, 
you know, oh, let's, let, let's, let, do let, let, let's do something here. I think the levy board had already offered quite a lot of money anyway, which remains uh, on the table. But uh, no, there was a there was a very interesting and detailed uh, article in the Racing Post this week from Bill Barber. I always joke with Bill Barber, the industry editor of the Racing Post. He does all the boring stories. But th this isn't boring. This is boring. Uh, this is not boring and is really important. Uh, and uh, Bill Barber's right on top of that. And it's a it's a really difficult job as well to kind of bring industry stories to, to life. Oh, as, yeah. and when I say it's, it's got in the in the press rooms, I every time I see see Bill Barber working on the latest boring story, are you? Uh, and he always smiles and uh, says, "No, I don't write about Leeds United." But 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 the fact is, he writes some really important stories, and the the side of things they're not quite so sexy, some of them, but they are still important and none more important, I don't think, at the moment than maybe the Animal Health Trust, the Oaks and the Derby. We looked at this a little bit last week and Lee wrote a piece about it in the Racing Post this week, Lee Motta said, about the Oaks and the Derby being on the same day. Ground, of course, in the old days was always used as the reason why you couldn't have the Oaks and the Derby on the same day, but we did it this year, like we've done many things, and it seemed to go okay. And, and admittedly, the, the races lent themselves to this, but being able to sort of split the screen in half and have the Oaks on one, not, not, not live, obviously, but in yeah. analysis afterwards, was was a really interesting. I, I felt. Yeah, and you it. you can only really do that if the ground is basically the same and the rail configuration is the same. Because if you did it in a normal year, the rail configuration would be different. Yeah, the you, well, you can't be do it on separate. It, it becomes just yeah. it's pointless on se on separate days. But if they're all, if they're within an hour and a half of each mm. other, uh, I, I thought that whether you were a racing nut or you were just following racing through interest that day, it was genuinely interesting to watch the way the pacemakers went off in the Oaks and then Love and the way Serpentine and uh, Emmett McNamara did their bit in the Derby. But then if you if you go back to a normal year and you have and you have them on the same day, what happens to Friday at Epsom, really? Well, A, you, I suppose you've got the Coronation Cup. Mm. I, I thought the Oaks, uh, and this point was made in the Racing Post this week, I thought the Oaks being on the Friday, on the eve of the Derby, very often gets lost in the, the haze of excitement ahead of the derby tomorrow, so to speak. Uh, but this year, the Oaks had a real prominence by being on the day. Now, I suppose the people at the Jockey Club will have to scratch their heads and work out, will it take away so much from the Friday that uh, it will be to our disadvantage? I have a feeling that they, they want to be thinking out of the box a little bit and it might to have the two, two of Britain's most historic sporting events, the Oaks famously one year older than the Derby, uh, that, that, uh, that uh, having them on the same day actually would really add certainly to the Oaks and to, perhaps to the whole day. I would like to say different, but I suspect the economics of it are that it probably wouldn't make an awful lot of difference and you would still get about the same gate on, on, and, on and, the Friday. And, and Epsom, sorry, we've gone past our time, but Epsom is such a good experience. So those people who are coming perhaps corporately or whatever on the Friday, they're not going to say, where's the Oaks? Mm. That, um, but, but then Saturday can be a real stellar day. Right, Saturday is a stellar day. Now, yesterday would normally be what used to be called Super Saturday, where you'd have racing at Ascot, racing at Chester, racing at York, racing at Newmarket, all fighting over the, over the terrestrial TV coverage and the crowd and the lion's share of the audience and, and profile and, 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 and profile in the next day's paper. Didn't happen yesterday because we just had Newmarket and And then next weekend we've got, we've, we'll, I think York and Chester are both on next weekend are they yeah so yeah. so so I, I thought it may maybe it, maybe it's a racing bubble thing there i'm i'm never entirely convinced 
uh, that this isn't a racing bubble issue, Super Saturday, and how you know it's hard to get jockeys and this that, and the other. The the one interesting thing always is is that punters are so who who obviously are such an important part of the whole thing are so sort of facing this massive wave of racing from from all corners that they end up not really concentrating on as mm. much as they should do. I thought yesterday worked really well for the July Cup. It, people will argue it wasn't the greatest quality July Cup of all time, but it was certainly going into it. There were plenty of strands to it, plenty of interest. Mm. The Royal Ascot form coming there, uh, the Avenant Stakes form uh, coming there, the, the failure from the St James's Palace Stakes coming there in threat as well. And I, I just felt the July Cup had a little bit more, maybe watching on terrestrial television, it wasn't bang, 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 bang so much. It was able to go a little bit more uh, smoothly and I thought it was a better experience. But it's not one that really can be replicated in a normal year, can well, it? As a, <laughs> well, otherwise, racing's financial model will have to completely change. Well, it might have to, but things are going to change, aren't they? Things are going to alter. Um, and it, it, clearly, if you, if you make a change that's actually going to end up costing you money, you're not going to do that. But mm. ultimately, maybe they'll just work it out, maybe spreading things slightly uh, thicker. Um, it doesn't actually have that effect. It's a nice idea for us, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a but I do think it's a racing, to an extent, it's a, a racing bubble. I don't think people are walking down my high street discussing uh, too much racing on Super Saturday. Sadly, I don't think people are walking down the high street discussing discussing the July Cup, but you never know. You, you never know. Well, never I think uh, I think Roger Teal will do plenty in I bet in Oxted High Street. They are. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. It's a very good pram race in Oxted. That's 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 true. Is that in, right? the, in the town of Oxted in in Surrey. Well, uh, a pram a, race. Yeah, there's a famous not this year because for, for obvious reasons, but uh, they have a pram race. And uh, now the Oxted Prem race is not the most famous Oxted in sport. My aim in this programme is always to know something at the end of it that I didn't know at the beginning of it. And that has now... Uh, Billy News and box. Time Charter, though, as well. Billy News and Time Charter, as well, in the Oaks in 1982. Tactical uh, was a winner for well. Her Majesty the Queen. Always in, uh, increases the profile of the sport when Her Majesty has a high-profile winner, and she did so this week at the uh, July Festival. And uh, Andrew Balding has been very enthusiastic about uh, this horse since before its first race at uh, Newmarket. Then it went to um, went to tactical went to Royal Ascot uh, and won the Windsor Castle. But throughout that time, the word has been just wait till this horse goes over six furlongs, over three quarters of a mile, rather than the five. Yeah. Well, I thought at Newmarket that uh, six furlongs, uh, were, you know, it looked as though the horse would be perfectly happy to go a little bit further than uh, six furlongs, maybe on seven, maybe on towards the classics next year. And if Her Majesty did have the, not just the most famous patron that horse racing has, but the most famous lady in the world was to have a horse going to the with a serious chance to the 2021 classics, mm. that would be fabulous. And note, note somebody... Um, she hasn't. I think she's bred three Royal Ascot-winning two-year-olds, one of which was Crapello, who I think did win the 2000 Guineas mm -hmm. in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. So there, there, there's form here. That, well, possibly, possibly. But I mean, it would be. It would be. You, you don't have to be some mad royalist or some mad Republican to to really appreciate this particular person with who put so much effort and energy and and emotion and uh, et cetera, et cetera, into racing to have something racing at the, uh, at the very top. I think the point you make about the fact that she bred the horse, I think I discussed this on the programme a couple of weeks ago, is that is the, the horse and hound did that piece with uh, with Her Majesty. They got, they got the indication as to which her, her top yeah. five horses were of all time. Yeah. And an estimate came quite a long way down because because she, the horses she bred were right up at the top, and yeah. it's, it's the pr production and breeding of the horses that gives her the most pleasure. The, the, the whole the whole process, absolutely. So if, if tactical, if she were to breed tactical to win a, a Group One race or a 
or a, an early classic yeah. next season. I think that might just top the whole lot. The pre the pre morning um, is the is the plan now. I think that's a good plan, and mm. it looks like a, it looks like it's going to be a good race as well. Talking about the thousand club, because a lot of people have reached the thousand milestone in the in the last couple of weeks. We interviewed John Quinn on the show last week. At Dave O'Mara, uh, PJ McDonald, David Probert has got to a thousand winners as well, and it is a significant milestone for any trainer in a jockey, and one that we probably ought to make a bit more fuss of. Yeah, and I think David Allen has got there mm -hmm. recently. Mickey Hammond got there not long ago as a as a trainer as well to a thousand. It's it, you know on the uh, uh, quite a lot of people when interviewed on a landmark like that they don't uh, they don't entirely know what to say. PJ McDonald was a notable exception Good. to that. Yeah. Uh, so he rode his thousandth winner, didn't he, uh, at um, at Newmarket last week, mm -hmm. and he was he just took a breath and just took it in and reveled in what he had achieved from from turning up uh, from from Ireland in the UK with you know hopes and dreams of so many other uh, apprentices to actually uh, riding group one winners and to getting to a thousand successes it's a really notable landmark um, what my favorite thousand um, thousand winner story was in the days when jockeys didn't necessarily put the colors on uh, of which they just won mm -hmm. on when when they received their trophy um, and um, or, or they were preparing for the next race. Peter Niven, now training, rode his thousandth winner one night at Weatherby. Oh, it was it was during Chester. It was in May of whichever year it was, and he was riding in my colours in the next race. So he receives his uh, his sort of special memento for a thousand winners wearing the Lyset silks. Nice. I thought whoever owned the horse that he did that thousand on must have been a bit missed. Uh, but it was a, it was very nice for us anyway. The jockeys are all very good like that now. Um, so those were the those were the members of the thousand club this week. I thought David Probert deserved a bit of a nod. Uh, well, he's been yeah, and David Allen as well. David Allen has plied his trade. Around the, uh, as David, similar types of jockey really, plied their trade day in, day out, morning, noon and night, and it's tremendous reward. And those were this week's Talking Points. You are, you are free, free to go, thank you very much. Can I say one quick yes. thing before I go? Lizzie Kelly, uh, she was talking about her media work. We worked together at, uh, at the BBC. Mm -hmm. I think Gary Flintoff, a producer at the BBC, was the guy that uh, got her first first time. She is a, a, a great media performer. And one of her, my favourite lines ever, she was telling that story about being at the start against three other um, jockeys. Uh, what did she say? McCoy, Garrity and yeah. Feely. And uh, some, one of the, John Inverdell, I think it was on the BBC, said, wow. You and those three. And he lo she looked at him and she said, well, I didn't ask for their autographs, <laughs> uh, which uh, yeah. is why, why she's an absolutely fantastic mm. communicator. She's been a great jockey, great communicator. And uh, I admire her most of all for the way with T for two that she took it on the chin when there was all that build up to the Cheltenham Gold Cup. And did they come down at the first or the second? First or second, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that must have been an absolute kick in the teeth. But she took it magnificently on the chin. And then they came back to win at Aintree a couple of weeks later. Absolutely. So that was wonderful. Cornelius, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Cornelius Lysett, uh, who's been my guest this morning. Colin McGinn, who is co-chair of the All-Party Racing and Bloodstock Industries Committee. Nice catchy title, isn't it? He'll be along right after this. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.
The Racing TV website has all the exclusive racing content you love from our channel and so much more. RacingTV.com is a true one-stop shop for all racing fans, featuring the latest race cards, videos and breaking news, all on one easy-to-use site. You'll never miss a race on RacingTV.com. Watch the main channel or create your own viewing experience by watching up to four of our dedicated live race course feeds at once on Racing TV Extra. If you can't watch the action live, our race replays will be online within minutes of the finish. We know how important race cards are. That's why we've teamed up with Timeform to offer in-depth and easy-to-digest cards with Timeform ratings and odds comparison powered by Odds Checker. Our fast results service from courses around the world will keep you up to date with all the latest racing results. If you rate a horse you've seen, you can add it to the industry-leading racing TV tracker. Then you'll be notified the next time it's entered for a race and due to run, so you'll never need to miss the price again. And there's more. RacingTV.com provides a daily tipping service from our betting experts, which are certainly worth looking out for. You can even apply for your next club day via RacingTV.com. Simply head to the club day page, select the club day you'd like to attend, and you'll be on course before you know it. With these features and so much more, the Racing TV website is your ultimate online hub for horse racing. Start making the most of your membership now at RacingTV.com on your desktop mobile or tablet. At Racing TV, 100% of our profits go back into racing. Thank you for supporting the sport that we all know and love. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. The morning after the announcement was made at 11 o'clock last night that Barry Geraghty, one of the true great jump jockeys of the modern era, announced his, uh, his retirement. We've been trying to get hold of Barry all morning to not much success, it has to be said. But I am very pleased to welcome my special studio guest this week, who is the co-chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Racing and Bloodstock Industries Group. He is the MP for St Helens. Haydock Park is in his constituency. It was going strong during the lockdown as a really important regional hub to provide important healthcare services. It is going strong now as a racecourse running behind closed doors. Uh, Colin McGinn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Lovely to be here. And when it started when lockdown started and when COVID-19 really had the nation in in its grip in late February early March you came on the the program and you gave a very emotional testimony about what was going on in in your constituency just just tell me how your life has been as an as an MP since then look it's been difficult because as I said to you when we last spoke as well as worrying about my own family and friends both in St Helens and of course in Ireland and not being able to see loved ones. You're worried about the 100,000 people who live in your constituency. You're worried about uh, those who are suffering from the illness, those who have been bereaved because of it. But you're also worried about businesses, you're worried about the health service, you're worried, worried about the pressure on all of those things. So it's been slightly surreal I think um, and in that period of course there have been lots of political developments but it's nice to be here with you and it's nice that I think we're getting back to some semblance of normality and I think for me as I suspect for a lot of people watching this program racing has been a huge lifeline in getting us through some really difficult times the fun the joy the excitement that we've all had 
watching it while not being able to go along obviously has has been great for for me I suspect for you as well but I think for the country too to have it back and to see sport up and running again has been has been really important for someone who's had such a, a great love of, of racing under both codes through the last 20 or 30 years I mean, Barry Geraghty has virtually been a constant in that time hasn't he well look, I mean I know you can't get him out of bed this morning but I mean the man deserves a lay-in you know I think with um, Barry as a, as a friend of mine texted me last night, he's gone out at the top like Ruby. I mean, the performance he had at the festival, that ride that he gave Champ, you're never likely to see that again. But I go right back to when I was a cub. In my first year at college, when I had moved to, to England, uh, you know, with Monty's pass, you know, I followed, I followed Moscow Flyer. Um, now, it didn't pay the whole of the rent for that term, but it got me a couple of pints and a few cheese toasties. But I think as well as that, look, his association with Jessica Harrington, with Nicky Henderson being JP's man, you know, not just great horses, but also horses you love, like poor old Yanworth that we lost on Friday too. But, you know, I, I get where he's coming from in this, because I have to spend time away from my family during the week in London. Um, and it's tough when you've got kids. And, like, I'm not putting in half the graft that he did or that the lads who are going around the country. So spending that time in England and being away from your family, I think he's... I think he's made the right call, and he's gone out at the top, and he should be remembered as, you know, one one of the one of the greats uh, in his own right. And I'm sure you, like me, will have many happy memories of him. Absolutely. I mean, Moscow Flyer winning the Tingle Creek Chase yeah, probably my happiest memory. Very early days doing this job, and, and yeah. still probably, as Andrew Cooper said, one of the greatest steeplechases yeah, I've ever watched. Just great, just and great to watch, and he was he was great to watch too, you know. And he also rode the best national hunt horse I've ever seen. Yeah, Sprinter Sack. Yeah, you know, but funny enough, I think I was on size in Europe that that day in 2013, so I don't have as fond of memories as that as I have of some of his other ones but look I mean the thing about it is he um here's the Tingle Creek Moscow Flyer yeah. and the Zerti up in Welchie three absolutely yeah. magnificent racehorses and uh but you know a great a great character too and one of the really recognizable names in racing um you know and you've had some of those on uh, today as well and just a great ambassador for our sport and I hope he continues and I'm sure he will uh, continue to be involved but you know his his wife and his family deserve to to have him home for a bit and I suspect like a lot of people he's probably over the last couple of months given what everyone has been through looked at and assessed you know uh, his own personal circumstances but to go out on a high to go out on top after that most recent festival performance and to have been doing that for 20 years uh, I mean that's you, you can't argue with class and he is class. So you as a passionate racing fan a passionate racing man and, and nobody needs convincing of that you're not putting it on is something that's absolutely in your in mm -hmm. your blood and in your in your DNA, and we've been lucky enough to have racing behind closed doors since since June the first. What sort of shape are we in? Do you think as an industry right now? Look, we're having a tough time, like all other sports uh, and businesses right across uh, the country. It's difficult for us because look, we're we're an animal first, but a people-centered industry. I mean, other sports have. You know, participants. Uh, you know, one person and, and a number of people might make up a team to, to do to do one thing or to work to one end. Like we're not like that. You know, the number of people that it takes to get a horse to a race meeting, you know, from the from the morning to to the evening is huge. You know, the number of people you then need at race courses, all of the safety and welfare and integrity checks that we have to have. So so it's it's more difficult for us because we are a very unique uh, sport. Um, but I think a couple of things. Look, I think we got out front and, and we went to government with a clear and coherent plan. And I think it's generally acknowledged by DCMS that the plan we put forward was, was, was one of the best. I think it's been really tough for people that, 
Um, although we're back racing, it, it's hard to envisage when we can have people coming to, to racing as before. I think in my heart of hearts, I think that's a long way off. I do think you? I do. I do. I think what we so this this news today that Goodwood are looking to be a trial five thousand at the end of the month. Do you think that's very unlikely to happen? I'd like to see it, but I haven't seen the the details. I just think talking about numbers like that uh, at the minute um, are, are tricky for for government. I mean, we we still haven't fully opened up all of the businesses that will involve a small number of people being in close proximity. But, but we lend ourselves to being the first sport to have bigger crowds back just because of the size of the venues. Yeah. Not if, you say, if you say that, we, you've heard me talk about yeah. this on the show before, if you say this is a park yeah. rather than a stadium, yeah. it puts it in, in totally. a when I look at I look at Haydock Park, which is in my own constituency, and the size and, and scale of that uh, is huge. Look, I think we should have a phased plan to return. I think it's been good to have the, the owners back. Like You couldn't but watch that yesterday and just see the, the joy of having owners back again. Um, I think we could have annual members back uh, at some courses and then I think we can, we can trial bigger crowds. I mean, we also are good at this type of thing like track and trace because it's, it's inherent to our industry because we, we work with animals and we need to do that for them. So we should be able to use that model in terms of uh, uh, being able to very robustly put a case to government that we, we can do this. Where do you think the government is at with this, you know, philosophically at the moment? If you, if you spoke to a senior uh, cabinet minister, which I'm, I'm sure you do, mm. um, and said, what do you think about racing with a, with a crowd at the moment? Where, what's their thinking? Look, I, I want to say first of all, I think Oliver Dowden, the shadow uh, culture secretary, Nigel Huddleston, sorry, the culture secretary. The, <laughs> that was wishful thinking on your yeah, part there I mean, for a minute, wasn't we're, we're doing yeah. well in the polls, but not, not, not that well yet. Um, but look, I think Oliver has done a great job. I think Nigel Huddleston has done a brilliant job. He's the sports, sports minister, minister, yeah. And I think Alison McGovern, our, our sports uh, spokesperson, has done a good job too. And I, and I always try to keep party politics uh, out of racing. But I'm obliged to say I don't think the government has handled has handled various things well throughout the course of this pandemic. And I think one of them is clarity for um, businesses, whether that's you know sectors uh, uh, or premises, um, and whole industries feel confused about the message around when they can open, how they can open, what they need to do. And I think there's been a bit of that with sport as well. Um, and so and I, so I think where government's at is. Let's get sport up and running again, and then let's let's start to think about how we can bring crowds back. Um, but but I'm I'm not sure that they're there yet, um, and I think I think there's still a lot of caution, and that's right, and that's justifiable and understandable. But maybe we in racing now need to go to government and saying, well, well, we're back up and running. We've done it safely. Everything's working properly. But you know, we we contribute billions to the economy, and we employ tens of thousands of people. And we need a sustainable plan to get back to some sort of normality. That would be that would be how I would approach it with them. We're going to take a very short break. We will be right back with Conor McGinn. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai.
yards. Sonnefrest is being claimed by Baron Bolt. It goes to the judge. Sarhek for the horse watchers and Mick Appleby win the Scottish Sprint Cup. She's going to beat the boys today in a grade two contest as well. Condor Caitlin for Ruth Jefferson under Brian Hughes wins the feature. Lake Volta bearing down, but it's Air Raid Scottish Stewards Cup. West Street down the centre though in front. Miss Bits trying to close the gap, but he won't get there. West Street wins the Highland National. What a race to whet the appetite for the weeks and months ahead. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Welcome back, you're watching Luck on Sunday. Conor McGinn, MP, the all-party parliamentary racing and bloodstock industry group's co-chair is with me and MP for St Helens as well. And before the break, Conor, you were saying that the government need to provide sporting bodies with more clarity as to, as to how to go forward, essentially. I think people... I think people need to retain a sense of optimism, but I also want them to be realistic about this. The government are dealing with a huge number of issues and it's understandable that sport, while hugely important to us, is further down the agenda than, uh, than, than other matters. But I think we, in going to government with the plan that we have as racing, and having that approved and in getting back up and running, we now need to hear from government what they would like us to do. Because what we want to do, we're very clear about this, I think, as all sports are, we want to be back to normal. But the government need to give us some indication of, of, when, of, of when we can do that. But I think what the government has also been really impressed by, um, look, you know, like every other sport, we have our internecine fallings out and crosswords exchange. But what government was impressed by was actually racing did come together as one and put forward a, put forward a proposal, the horsemen. You know the courses, the BHA. You know everybody came uh, around the table and said we 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 need to we need to do this for our sport to survive. I tell you what, they were also really impressed by, and I give an example of 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 this uh, in my, in my own constituency in my, in my own region. I got a call from the Department of Health, uh, Liverpool City Region, um, and my local authority to say we've identified Headock Park as a site where we might be able to provide yes. testing for NHS yeah, staff. So I said. So they said, we know that you have a good relationship with them. You know, can you make an approach? I rang Dickon White, who's our regional director for a jockey club in the Northwest. Without hesitation, he said, absolutely. He says, we will do whatever it takes. We will, we will work out uh, whatever legal requirements there are. We, we want to do whatever we can to help. I mean, that is just an incredibly powerful thing. And I was able to go back to government within 15 minutes and say, we're, we're rolling and we're on here. I think the virtual Grand National know the money it raised for charity and the brilliant job that you and, and the team did on that. My, my concern was that it was too good actually that pe people, people, yeah. enjo people enjoyed it too much but, but now that we've got the real thing back I think people can see the difference again but I just think racing has a brilliant story to tell about what we've done for the good of the country yes. during this yes. as well as our own sport. And it's a story being told but now we need to figure out a way we that do. the sport can become financially sustainable again because it's not financially sustainable within this model at the moment and we're running you know, group races for you know, essentially a net return to the owners of under £20,000, yeah. owners disappearing, 1,800 horses at grass. Yeah. How would you like to see the sport remodel itself financially so that it is sustainable? Look, I think that's, I think that's for, for, for racing to resolve uh, itself. And, and that's not a cop-out, but I've always been very clear that my role is, is to be racing's man and be an ambassador for racing and to support all of its component parts. What I want to see racing doing is is, is, is using what we've been through over the last month to realise how precarious a position we can be in. So the things that we sometimes get agitated or aggrieved about actually aren't that important because 
it, it wasn't beyond the bounds of reason that we would have lost the sport completely. And you're right, that means we need to go back to, back to first principles about what is the sport for, who is it for, you know, and how, how, can we make it, how can we make it more accessible. So I, so, I, so I would like to see the sport being more representative, I think. I would like, uh, I would like the voices of those, um, those, those who, who aren't the, um, you know, the biggest and most successful uh, owners or trainers, um, you know, those, those who you only see in the headlines, who are brilliant for us, by the way, absolutely. I mean, there are grade A class one people that you want to have out. But if we don't focus on the people at the bottom end of the, of the chain, um, th th then, then it isn't going to be sustainable. You, you're absolutely right. And look, the truth is we are going to lose some people from this industry because of this crisis. And I know that you had Dawn on earlier from, from Racing Welfare, and we need to do a lot to support all of those organisations in terms of helping people who, who might not see this through um, on, on the other side and try and retain and keep them involved in racing somehow, even if not as what they were doing previously. I mean, there was much debate during the, during the lockdown as to how strong racing's position was within, within government. As someone who is the link, if you like, between, or supposed to be the link between the industry and and government, how, how would you assess how would you assess its its, cap its lobbying capability? Well, I think those I think those links are strong. And look, I, I I'm a conduit, <coughs> excuse me, for for racing. But there's many really strong individual relationships in in mm. uh, in and between racing and, and and government too. So I certainly wouldn't want to diminish that or overemphasize uh, my own role. I, I I played a small and hopefully helpful part in getting getting us back up and running. But Look, relations are good. I think we were realistic, we were sensible, and there was a sense that racing put, put the country first. And that was what I said when I spoke to you last, a really important thing for us to do. And I think in doing that, it served us well, which is why we're back first, and we have a plan to get people back to our sport. And, and that puts us in a better position than most other sports. And is the, is the Cheltenham Festival negative publicity? Do you think that is now behind us as regards moving forward is going with the country at large? No, I don't. And I worry about that. Um, because I think in politics generally, and we could talk about this all day, there's a lack at the minute of evidence-based policy making. So you look at all the evidence around Cheltenham and there's a case that racing can put um, that isn't the hysteria that you see in the papers. But I do worry about that and I worry about the perception of it. And I think we are going to to have to address that, and I will support racing in doing that. And on that perception issue, when you look at debate in government about horse racing as an ethical and sound sport, where do you think we stand now? That is not something we've spoken about the last few months because we've had other priorities, but yeah, how precarious is our position, I think, do you think, look, with wider society? Look, I think there's become a bit of a conflation, and you had Michael Duggar on last week, there's become a bit of a, a, a conflation between you know, racing and gambling. Um, you had the hysteria around uh, Cheltenham, where some people in public health, uh, you know, hugely overemphasised um, Cheltenham's contribution to the to the spread of COVID. Racing was only following government's advice, and you know, hindsight is is twenty twenty vision in that regard. Racing did what it it it, it thought was right. Um, but I think, look, I'm really encouraged that some new MPs, like Laura Farris, the new MP for mm -hmm. Newbury, who's got involved in the all-party group. 
um, who is a huge supporter of racing. There are some good people involved, but we can't rely on a small number of individuals. And we need to, we need to take these issues head on. We need to be robust and confident in, in our own position, whether, whether it's about safer gambling. Um, and Bruce Millington had a fabulous uh, piece in the Racing Post the week before last about the difference between gaming and, mm. and betting. And we, we talked with Michael a bit about that right. last week. And, yeah. and, we, and we, we, need, we need to be uh, robust and confident in our own, own position on all of that, in looking after our, our own people, uh, uh, supporting responsible gambling, um, you know, being live to this idea that you're going to ban sponsorship and ban advertising, which, which would you know, have a huge impact on our sport. And, and there's this idea that you know, we will automatically get an exemption from that. We won't, and we need to work very hard about that. And specifically, how hard do you think we have to work to convince people that racing horses is still an ethically sound pursuit? Look, I, I don't think you have to work that hard. I mean, millions of people in this country love and enjoy racing. They might not understand it that well. So some of the debates that we have, for example, around the use of the whip, they just pass the public by. It's, it's not something I've ever been contacted about by a member of the public. But what you do have in the age of social media um, and, and when some politicians you know, will clamour for a, a headline around some of this, you'll have organisations that will get 100,000 signatures because people will just click a button and they click a button about anything. I get the same people emailing me about a whole range of things because they've signed up to some campaigning organisation. Now that's a problem for us because it then elevates and inflates the sense that there is opposition to racing when actually there's not that much, we just need to explain it a bit better. Obviously the, the Labour Party is now being reshaped under Sir Keir Starmer and, and yep. your role is, is, is increased as well. How would, how would thoroughbred horse racing be better served by a, by a Labour government than the, the one we have presently? Look, I think I have a job of work to do in my own party. I make no hesitation or no bones about that whatsoever. It's, it's difficult when people in my party who don't understand racing look at racing and see all of these links between the Conservative Party and individuals in racing, I push back on that very, very, um, very robustly and say to my colleagues, you know, racing is a broad, you know, it is a sport of kings and working men. It comprises a broad section of people, but there is a bit of a perception um, that that you know, at its higher levels, higher echelons, and governing levels, it is a sort of Tory-run thing. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's right. I actually think all of those people who are politically active and involved in racing are really great people, and they're doing a brilliant job for racing. I just happen to bat for the red team, and they bat for the blue team, and you know that's okay because when we're talking about racing, we're all on we're all on the racing team. Um, but look, you know, I have a job work to do in the Labour Party to I think reconnect us with working class people in all of those seats that we lost in the north of England. I have a Conservative neighbour for the first time in nearly a hundred years. It's incredible to think that a mining constituency like Lee, never mind those seats in Durham, voted Conservative. So there's a big job of work for Labour to do and actually I think racing can be a key part of that story in terms of us reconnecting with working class communities and understanding what people like, enjoy, what their aspirations and their ambitions are. So the job is not racing's to do, the job is the Labour Party's to do. Which I think a, a race course like Aintree has done extremely well and I know you're yeah. very keen on that with Haydock. Without, without engagement with the community, yeah. leisure venues, race courses, yeah. cinemas, theatres, sports venues are nothing. Yeah, and it's hard to talk about Aintree at the minute because of Rose, you know, um, and I just want to say what a wonderful person she was and how much she did to make that Liverpool's meeting. You know, Peter Dursbury and Rose coming in after it did more than anybody to open the doors of Aintree, to bring the people of Liverpool in, to bring all of those community organisations in. She did it as she would, discreetly and quietly, but she did it and she's a huge loss uh, to us and I just want to, you know, 
say that, um, and I have said it on the record before, but personally I feel it very acutely as well as for the sport. Um, but yeah, look, our, our, our asset are our people, you know, our wonderful animals um, and our venues. And, you know, we, we want to get all that back to normal as soon as we can. And that's a fitting note on which to end. Conor McGinn MP, thank you very much indeed. Conor McGinn, who's been my special guest, my thanks to Cornelius. Thanks to you all for watching. We will be back same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai.